What is going on? Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. Oh, uh, yeah. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Welcome to the show. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day. I appreciate it. At 1 o'clock, President Joe Biden will be, I guess he's returning from Delaware. Oh, there goes the engineer. Grab him. I, I am working without Wi-Fi today. It's like I, it's like, this is a throwback episode. It's a throwback episode. We're going to be running our um, our bump tunes off of uh, LP. <laughs> uh, no, so Joe Biden's doing a one o'clock um, news conference. I think it's a news conference. He's going to make a statement of some kind on Afghanistan. We will carry it live. So stay tuned for that. We'll take your calls after that as well. Um, also, we've got uh, some movement on the pistol purchase permit. Law in North Carolina right now, all of that runs through the uh, sheriff's offices around the state. And in some places, you know, the pandemic has caused a lot of people to want guns. It's the pandemic that's done it. Yeah. So there's been a lawsuit filed. We'll get to that. Um, But first, we start with Floyd Ray Roseberry. Which, by the way, for folks who may be new to the station, there is um, there is a long-running uh, theory that, generally speaking, when you see somebody behaving in the fashion that Floyd Ray Roseberry behaved in, look for the middle name, and generally speaking, it's going to be Ray, Lee, or Wayne. It's true. The Wayne, Lee, Ray, I, we don't know why. It's just it's it just happens. <laughs> There's a middle name, and one of those three are usually in the mix. So um, this he he checks the box. Floyd Ray Roseberry, 49 years old of Grover, Cleveland, North Carolina, Cleveland County that is, and uh, he went on to the Facebook, and he started live streaming or face tubing, whatever you call it, uh, from the Facebook platform and uh i watched about 30 minutes of it i watched about the and and it's essentially it is the same thing over and over and over and over and over again okay um folks on the left are celebrating because he was a um he was a new voter in 2016 and he voted in the republican primary in 2020 and his wife told nbc news that he was a brand new voter, had never voted before. Again, he's 49 years old, had never voted before, which is weird because Democrats were usually all about getting people to vote, right? They want everybody registered and they want everybody voting. But I guess not Floyd Ray Roseberry because his first election he voted in was 2016, four years ago, five years ago. And then he voted in the Republican primary. He is a registered Republican. And so, yeah. He's a Republican. He's a Trumper. And look at his Facebook feed. He's got all of this pro-Trump stuff. He's a MAGA head. Yay. They are. So, all right, let me back up. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but right after 9-11, I went to, I believe it was a professor from either, I think she was from UNC Charlotte. I forget, but she did a presentation as part of a larger presentation about terrorism. And I, I apologize. I don't remember her name. But, uh, again, it was 20 years ago. So she gave this presentation. I still remember, though, the three C's. She talked about the three C's when it comes to terrorism. These are the types of terrorists that you encounter. 
the first would be the criminal. Somebody who's like, I'm going to hijack this plane, you know, give me a billion dollars and, you know, a parachute and another plane on the runway with a pilot or whatever, right? Like the criminals, they engage in terroristic activity for criminal purposes. Then there are the uh, crazies and the crazies, uh, they think that like the, the story she gave was like this guy, I think it was out of Florida. He saw a billboard. Or, or sorry, no, he saw a billboard that said escape to Florida or something. And so he was unbalanced and he went and hijacked a plane and he said, take me to Florida. Right. So that was the, the crazies. And I know that's not a politically correct term to use anymore, but I don't know how else you make it fit with the three C's. Like it's very memorable when you think of it in these terms. So that's the other group. Then there's the final group, which are the crusaders. And these are people who are, you know, engaging in terrorism because they believe they are called to do so in order to advance their religious ideology or maybe even a non-religious ideology. But the point is that they are willing to die. And that's what separates them from the other two. The criminals and the crazies both expect to live after the event, right? The, uh, the crusaders do not. And there really isn't anything then that you can offer them in this world as a negotiation tactic. And so what this guy is, according to the mainstream media, what they are painting him as in all the reports, when you start reading the reports, and I'm going to go over some of this stuff, you've got all this evidence that he is what? Is he a criminal? Is he a crusader? Or is he a crazy He's a crusader. That's what the media is painting him as, that he's a crusader, that he's, you know, a, a, a totally drunk, the Kool-Aid, MAGA-loving, Republican-voting Trump supporter. And this is probably in some way, shape, or form, like, my fault as a, you know, because I'm a conservative, libertarian type. I am on the radio. Oh, you're a right-wing radio host, and so you're the reason that this guy drove all the way to D.C., and and sat in his truck and made bomb threats holding a rusty propane can. Because that's what he had. From, what I, from all the reports I've seen, that's what he had. Now, he may have believed that this thing could detonate and take out all of the two-square block area. But it doesn't seem like that was the case. So they're trying to paint him as a crusader. However, I came across one piece of little information just... Just one tidbit that I think might actually be more important than the Facebook posts. Okay, just hear me out. But first, let's hear out Boomer Von Cannon. What's going on with the traffic, Boomer? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Floyd Ray Roseberry, 49 years of Grover, North Carolina, out of Cleveland County, 40 miles to the west of Charlotte. And uh, he put up a FaceTube video, live-streamed it, talked about how uh, he was going to blow up his truck. Actually, he wasn't going to blow up his truck. He said that if someone shoots him, that he has his bomb uh, wired to the glass, and it's a decimal reader. It's a decimal reader. And that that would, there was, if the glass broke, it would, that, that would set off the bomb. Even though at some points, like, you can hear sirens running in the background. 
he's yelling at people outside the window and like, I don't know. I, I think breaking glass is not going to be that loud of a decimal reading or decibel reading either way. Um, the media rushes to paint him as a Republican crusader, three types of, as I mentioned, three types of uh, terrorists, right? You've got your criminals, your crazies, and your crusaders. And they're painting him as a crusader. Here is MSN.com. While Roseberry at times attempted to paint himself variously as the embodiment of the South or as a hand-picked representative of the American people, much of his motivation seemed to derive from a personal animus against the U.S. healthcare system. <laughs> Which is not true. Roseberry's mother died of cancer, he said, and his wife had been denied insurance coverage for treatment of an unspecified cancer on her face. He claimed he had recently been denied coverage as well for shots, just so I can walk. Roseberry's, he did say these things in his like hour long rants on Facetube. He did mention these things. He also mentioned other things. Roseberry's wife told NBC News that he told her he was leaving for a fishing trip the previous night. She also said Roseberry was upset by the by the last presidential election results and that the first time he ever voted in his life was for President Donald Trump. He had a couple of bankruptcies in 98 and in 2000. Um, he also had a bit of a criminal background. Uh, investigators say uh, in the late 80s, he was charged with larceny over $200 and driving without a license. He got probation and uh, he also was convicted of resisting a public officer in 1993. Interesting. He reportedly called 911 and claimed to have an explosive in his car. The truck that he drove from North Carolina was filled with bags and tubs of loose change, apparently designed to turn the vehicle into a huge IED. And um, they found a propane container, uh, not dangerous, and ultimately they found no bomb. But they say they did find possible bomb-making materials possible bomb-making materials, which not really sure what that means. I mean, if the loose change could be possible bomb-making materials, then I guess they found that. He was also ranting during the FaceTube video about money, about pennies being made out of zinc and worthless. He was also throwing dollar bills out the window, making it rain, y'all. And uh, saying that these were all worthless, that the money didn't matter anymore. So maybe he was an anti-Federal Reserve guy. Are you starting to get an idea that maybe he's not exactly a crusader? He might be one of the other C's. Let me uh, hit this audio clip. We'll see how long it takes to play. Here is Roseberry on the face, too. No, you can send him in, man. Uh, but I'm telling you, you the man that's going to set the bomb off. I ain't. Right. I can't do it. Mm. I can't kill nobody. I can't kill myself, hurt myself. Nope. I'm just here to give you options. Unlike what you give us. Well, right now, this area is only okay for people who, I guess, want to watch them die. Bomb squad's here. Joe, don't shoot. If you shoot, you're the one setting this bomb off, not me. 
Because I have no control. I have none. No control over your military expertise. The ones that was trained, the one that trained the people that's in the military now. <laughs> he made this. He didn't have the two legs. What? But he said he knows it works. Wait a minute. I have two legs. What does that mean? Because he's used them many a time. He's talking about somebody that apparently he's saying helped him build this big bomb that wasn't actually a bomb. Somebody that the military trained. And also, I'm not the one that's going to do this. You're the one that's going to do this. It wouldn't be me that I can't do this. You would do this. And I have no choice but to be here, but I'm here to give you a choice. And I've been anointed. I've been pushed forward here by the American people to make this happen. And I know what all of them want, you see. Are you starting to get the picture here? Let me skip ahead real quick, because this is really going to... Um, this will explain it. <laughs> this is from heavy.com. The very, very, very end of their story, three pages worth, very end of the story. He told NBC, in a phone call, Roseberry's wife says that her husband recently struggled with mental health issues and recently changed his medications. Well, now, that might be a pretty good, I don't know, clue, a little piece of evidence here about what actually motivated the guy to drive all the way from Cleveland County to Washington, D.C. with a propane tank thinking it was a bomb. And thinking he had, by the way, they never did find any of the four other locations around D.C. that he was going to blow up, right? And all of this was supposedly wired to the windows, right? Never did find any of that. No, no, no. It's because he was a Trump supporter. And he was made crazy by the orange man. That's what we are to believe. I am to believe that right now it is time for a check on news. So we go over to the WBT News Center, where I also believe Mark Muller is standing by. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Cleveland County man arrested for driving up to the Capitol, sitting outside of the uh, uh, Library of Congress, calling it a bomb threat, claiming he had a bomb in his vehicle that would go off if uh, they tried to shoot out his windows or if there was, I guess, any sound loud enough to trip the decimal reader that he had, which thank you, Eric, on Twitter, who says he had a decimal reader in high school, the Texas Instrument 71. Not sure how it would know if any glass breaks, however. Um, in one of his live stream videos, he said, the South is coming for you to Joe Biden. He's a Trump voter who voted for the first time in his life for the former president. His wife told NBC Washington's Tom Lynch. We reviewed, this is heavy.com, says we reviewed his Facebook page before it was deleted, and it reveals that he trashed President Joe Biden, and, get this, he shared a post by Donald Trump Jr. criticizing Biden on Afghanistan, so you know he's a Trumper. 
And And he also wrote about the Mega Million Man March, which was the Mega Million March or Million Mega March or whatever it was. And he was there and he took apparently a picture of himself while he was there. Tim, welcome to the program. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm good, Pete. How are you today? Hey, I'm all right, man. Hey, I wanted to tell you, I'm uh, glad you got your own show. I've enjoyed listening to you. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, I wanted to, uh, I didn't know if you knew all this, but I thought you needed to. Uh, my understanding was the man was uh, about five before uh, he finally surrendered. Is that what you understood? I'm sorry, you dropped out that the man was what? He was about five hours sitting there before yeah. he surrendered. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, I think that's about right. Surrendered. You know why he surrendered, right? No. He ran out again. <laughs> time to give up. <laughs> Which, I mean, just as far as that goes, like, and I don't want to make light of this because obviously he has mental health issues, and a bomb scare is never uh, fun. You know, and law enforcement responds, you got to treat it as if it's real, and you know everything else. But. I mean, when he was like, I'm ready to die for the cause, and then he surrenders, like, uh, I'm not so sure that was, I'm, uh, like, I, I don't believe him now. Like, how can I believe anything he ever says? Like, he says he was ready to go down, and then he wasn't. So, <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Tim, I appreciate the call, man. Thank you. Yeah, he ran out of gas at the, uh, five hours would do it, I guess, in that truck. Not to mention, like, the amount of gas he spent. Correct. Getting from Cleveland County all the way to Washington. <laughs> yeah. Um, on Facebook, Roseberry made his conservative political beliefs known. He did. Um, he made them clear. He shared a graphic of Heath Ledger as the Joker with the caption, quote, history was made by those who break the rules. He also ranted about North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. But honestly, I mean, come on, haven't we all... He shared a graphic that read, quote, I avoid bleep because I'm scared of me, not you. Temper go from zero to prison in uh, real fast. Sorry. Temper goes. Temper go. This is what he says. Temper go from zero to prison real fast. And perhaps most damning of all, his page was filled with patriotic themes. He loved America. He's a monster. Right. He's a monster. Um, I will tell you also, the first thing I did when I found out the guy's name was I went and checked my Facebook friends list. <laughs> this is what you got to do in today's day and age. And well, Okay. My, quote, friends list is like pushing up against the 5,000 limit. Okay. So there are a lot of people that Humble are... Brag. There are. What are you talking about? I've <laughs> I've been on Facebook for a long oh, time. Oh, I have five thousand friends. I have the max amount of friends. <laughs> and then they made me convert to a a, a celebrity page. Or yeah, or, or, uh, yeah. Well, like or a business page or whatever. Yeah, they you, they make you go over to this page. They used to make you have to give up your personal page, right? Which I was actually okay with because like interacting on Facebook is. It's kind of a drag. I mean, <laughs> Hashtag first world problems. Right. So, but like I've said this before. If I was not in this line of work, I would not be on the social media platforms that I am on. And here, you want proof of this? I'm on Instagram. 
I have, I think, one follower. Okay, so there's your humble brag. I got like one or two followers over on Instagram. I have never been back since I set up the page. Is this your way of lowering yourself back down to the common man? It is. <laughs> I'm for the people. And so You're approachable on Instagram, but not on Facebook. Or in restaurants. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I, I, so I hit this. So I have all these friends on Facebook, but you don't know. Because I, when I first started, I followed everybody back. I, anybody that friended me, I friended them back. Same thing on Twitter. And now I got, you know. The, the 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 personality page, I think is what they call it. And there are a ton of people on there and they can just follow me and I don't know who they are. By the way, you have 140 followers on Instagram. Good Lord. And you haven't even posted anything. <laughs> it's just a picture of your face. It's the, it's the I told you I haven't been over there. I don't do anything over there. I live on Twitter. That's where I'm at. If you want to get a hold of me, I am on Twitter. And um, <clears throat> which is funny because I spend way more time on Twitter and push out way more content on Twitter. And I only have, I have roughly the same amount. I, I have more followers on Twitter than I do on Facebook, but like, <laughs> I don't understand it. I, I, the algorithms or whatever. But the first thing I did, all of that is just to say this, is that the first thing I did was I went and checked my Facebook profile to see if this guy is a friend of mine. Because you know what would happen if this guy was a friend of mine. Oh, you know for, what for the sure. coverage, yeah, you know what the coverage would be. I would be tarred as a co-conspirator of this lunatic and that I somehow or another convinced him to go do this because we talk about current events. Now, this is the standard that folks on the right have to live by. Folks on the left don't have to live by this. And postmodernism, which uh, animates the left, is about power they'll tell you that it's what critical race theorists will tell you as well everything is power dynamics and the interaction of uh you know different classes of people that are engaged in power struggles with each other and so that's the tell by the way that's the tell so when you go to them and you're like well you're being a hypocrite they don't care you know why because it's a power play that's the point it's to get power right it's also rooted in envy um and so you've got this power dynamic going on and so when Somebody like, what was the, I'm not even going to name his name. I know his name. I'm not going to name him. The guy who went and tried to assassinate like the entire Republican caucus of Congress, right? Same exact type of story. Mental health issues, living in his van and, um, you know, posting all of this stuff on Facebook, rabid, rabid Bernie bro, and then goes to try to murder a bunch of Republicans. And until what, two months ago, three months ago, that was still classified by the FBI as a suicide by cop. Do you know that? They finally got it changed. The Republicans in Congress finally got the FBI to change that to a, a political attempted assassination, a politically motivated attack. Because that's exactly what it was, right? It's exactly what it was. He was crazy, and I do not blame Bernie Sanders, although he is crazy too, but I don't blame him for inspiring somebody else who's already mad. Floyd Ray Roseberry, the man who drove from Cleveland County, North Carolina, all the way up to uh, Washington, D.C. Oh, and by the way, you can go straight to Hades, Rex Chapman. Go straight on there. Do not pass. Go. 
You see Rex Chapman taking a shot at North Carolina. You know who Rex Chapman is, don't you? He's the guy who stole a bunch of stuff, was all strung out on drugs. Now he's got a huge following on Twitter, that guy. But well, you know him from something else? Did he do anything else? Was well, he... he played for the Hornets. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't played a bit of a charitable term in this scenario? Um, yeah, he went after North Carolina, made some comment about how, I guess, like we're a hotbed of terrorism or something. I mean, just because we sent the Pizzagate guy up to D.C. as well. And... Uh, Okay, and maybe that other guy that went from here and went out to Colorado and shot at the Planned Parenthood clinic, also insane. Um, but this is the, the key piece of information from this story is that Roseberry's wife said that he had recently struggled with mental health issues and recently changed medications. Recently changed medications. That is a really big deal. <clears throat> he also just had... His mother passed away, which I think is what some folks would call a triggering event. You have some sort of triggering event. His mother dies. He's dealing with mental health issues. He changes his meds. Don't know how. And then he does this. Like, I'm going to, again, I am an Occam's razor kind of a guy. I'm going to look at what is most likely the obvious and easiest to explain and Prove hypothesis. It it looks like he had some sort of a break. It's what it looks like. Not a scientist, not a psychologist, not any of those things. It looks like he hit a point and he snapped. And he was dealing with stuff because he went to his, uh, obviously went and got some medications and they were adjusted and that can cause problems and it obviously did now we don't know actually maybe he didn't even maybe he was self-medicating or maybe he just went off meds or maybe he increased the meds on his own you we, we don't know we don't know um i do know this that when i was ready um to make a change in my own life about uh eating right and losing weight i went to phd weight loss here in charlotte i knew who these people were because they were in Asheville when i was up there and uh, one of my coworkers up in Asheville actually went on the program, <clears throat> and he and his wife, they lost a combined, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 pounds. Um, and, I, and they kept it off for, like, several years. So I knew it worked. And so when I got down here and I heard that they were here, I was like, I need to do this because when I was packing up to move here, <laughs> I packed up stuff, and I realized, like, most of my clothing is still in boxes, and I didn't even bother to bring it on the first trip because... I couldn't fit into any of it. And uh, all I had was like my two XL shirts. And that's not like like one XL shirt and a one XL shirt. Like, so I have two of them. I know I mean like I have two X shirts and I had like six of them. And that was all I had. And uh, I was like, I need to do something different. So I was kind of like my rock bottom, my, my epiphany, my like, you know what? I need to do something about this. And so I went over there. I saw Dr. Ashley Lucas. She is the founder of PhD Weight Loss. And uh, she actually talked about how so many of the clients that they help have some kind of, uh, there's an addiction component. And so a lot of this is retraining your brain as well, because and not that I'm addicted to food, but like my portions were too big. And uh, the fat that was this visceral fat that's around the stomach, around the belly area, 
that then starts, it is addicted basically to the kinds of food that help it grow. And that was then dictating my choices. So uh, they use PhD weight loss uses proven and personalized and customized nutritional guidance for me. I got my whole program right here and it retrains my brain, uh, retrains my eating habit, uh, habits, healthier habits. And uh, you can learn all about it at myphdweightloss.com, myphdweightloss.com, and uh, take your first step with me. You can take it with me. Let me know how you're doing. Uh, do it today, myphdweightloss.com. Um, at, let's see here. Yeah, at 1 o'clock, we're going to do a, uh, we're going to join the President's News Conference. After that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the or not concealed carry, but the pistol purchase permit program that is uh, alive and well in North Carolina. There is an effort now to get rid of it, and the left is howling. And there was an editorial at WRAL.com, which is will never cease to be funny to me, that WRAL.com posts editorials. Like, I literally don't care <laughs> what your... Uh, what your mouthpiece for the Goodmans think about anything. I, I, like, I really don't care. And the, the, the kicker on it is that all it does is undermine the credibility of the WRAL newsroom, if that's at all possible <laughs> to undermine it. I know there are some people that do some decent work every now and again. But uh, for folks who aren't aware, WRAL is the main TV station in Rock Hill, I think it's an NBC, or Rock Hill, in uh, Raleigh, and it's the NBC affiliate. And uh, they they dictate, they drive a lot of coverage decisions in the state of North Carolina because uh, of, I mean, it's a, it's a powerhouse station. They've got a political reporting staff that covers the General Assembly and the like, Laura Leslie, Travis Fain, and I've interacted with both of them. On social media, not impressed. Um, they went and hired, so they and they are owned by Capital Broadcasting Company, and that is run by or owned by Jim Goodman, James Goodman, the Goodman family, big time donors to all these left wing organizations in the state. They were big funders, for example, of the Blueprint NC coalition. And for folks who aren't aware of Blueprint NC, this was the the constellation of uh, leftist outfits that all united to take out Pat McCrory as governor and uh, the General Assembly to block them from advancing any kind of Republican or conservative agenda. That was their mission, and um, they were funded by, you know, the usual suspects on the left. But there were all these groups that were affiliated, and, and it leaked out. I think it was Jim Morrill at the Charlotte Observer that got a hold of the um, the the PowerPoint presentation. This is where the, the language came from, like, we need to... If, was it eviscerate, cogitate, agitate? Uh, there was a couple of other things in there too, and, and this was their strategy, right? And so the Goodmans are part of that constellation of the left in this state that funds all of these operations. And so he went out and hired a former comms guy for past Democratic governors, and put him on staff to write basically the same editorial every single day, which is a good gig if you can get it, I guess. Uh, so we'll get into that later on in the program. Now, let's get a check on the news on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. 
News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. And we are awaiting the president of the United States, in case that wasn't clear. Um, He's going to be delivering remarks. He's going to give an update, is what it's being described as. Give an update on the Afghanistan crisis. It was supposed to have started four minutes ago at 1 o'clock. It has not. We still haven't even gotten a two-minute warning, as far as I heard. So, um, But we will bring that to you live, and we will endeavor to uh, to carry it uninterrupted. If he goes to a, a Q&A, which I don't know if it's a news conference or not, um, <clears throat> if he starts taking some questions, we may dip out from that, but we'll see. We're just playing it by ear. We're calling audibles all over the place. Just Omaha, Omaha everywhere, okay? So uh, I want to uh, bring to you though, uh, a piece from Noah Rothman. He writes at Commentary Magazine, commentary.com, or sorry, .org is the website, commentary.org. Headline, The Worst Presidential Dereliction in Memory. And he refers back to the press conference that General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, as well as the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin did the other day. And he says, right now, a crisis of almost unprecedented proportions is upon us. And to judge from what Austin and Milley are telling us, they have neither the means nor the will to resolve it. As the Washington Post reported on Tuesday night, an estimated 10 to 15,000 U.S. citizens are still in Afghanistan, and there was no plan to evacuate the Americans who are outside of Kabul. And there still isn't. In a most dispiriting display of resignation, Austin and Milley explained that the hellish circumstances to which they'd consigned American citizens and their allies in Afghanistan were all but irresolvable. While thousands of Americans and allied Afghans have been evacuated since Tuesday, we are at the mercy of the Taliban who have surrounded Kabul's single runway airport. I mentioned this the other day. um, That why would you... Why would you be at the airport in Kabul rather than at Bagram? There still isn't some sort of plan to evacuate them. In a most dispiriting display of resignation, Austin and Millie explained that this was irresolvable, that we're at the mercy of the Taliban. He says, um, the only means by which allied nations can evacuate their people is going to be at Kabul But you have to make it to the airport on your own and by whatever means necessary. And if you are not presently in U.S. custody in the airport, even inside Kabul, there is little that the American military can do for you. This is what they told people the other day. They said, quote, we don't have the capability to go out and collect large numbers of people. Indeed, the U.S. military cannot even mount the kind of rescue operations in which British and French special forces are already engaged. Look, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but it seems pretty obvious to me that if you're trying to do a mass evacuation, that the first thing you do is you get all of the citizens out. You get the civilians out, I should say. You get the civilians out, then you get equipment out or destroyed, and then you pull the troops out. That's what I would think the process would look like. I suspect it would kind of follow that plan. But I'm not a military planner. 
I'm not in charge of the military and in charge of whatever this Charlie Foxtrot operation was. I'm not in charge of it. But if I were, I would have prioritized that. I would have said civilians, you guys, and go to Bagram. Get everybody to Bagram. You start creating this while we still had, while we still had territory, right? While the Taliban was knocking off district after district and province after province and capital after capital, you start seeing that happen. All right, hey, everybody, let's get everybody to Bagram. Noah Rothman says, we have placed the fate of untold thousands of Americans and Afghan allies in the hands of the Taliban. They dictate the terms and the tempo of our operations. We depend on the Taliban to allow foreign nationals and credentialed Afghans into Hamid Karzai International Airport. According to what remains of the American diplomatic presence in Kabul, quote, the United States government cannot ensure safe passage into the airport. I have seen videos now of British and French special forces going in and rescuing their own people and getting them out. I want to believe that these institutions of people that convey the notion that they are way smarter and way more expert at this stuff than me, or than I, I, I want to believe that they are, in fact, all that they portray themselves to be. I do. I want to believe that. I don't think a society can really uh, prosper if we all lack faith in all institutions. And I know this is sort of postmodernist paradise here, but if we don't believe in the credibility and proficiency and effectiveness of any of these institutions, then what have we? And I ask that question in all earnestness. I don't have an answer for it. I don't know. And I think that's what we're going to have to figure out here pretty quickly. Now, maybe something happens and like, from what I understand and what I've read and heard, there are, you know, there are servicemen and women chomping at the bit, ready to get in there. And I hope that they can. I hope that they do. And I hope that it's successful. And I hope they do so safely. And I hope everybody can get out. But I don't know if it's a if it's a pessimism or if it's a uh, cynicism or if it's a realism. I am very concerned about what we're going to start seeing in videos coming out of um, Afghanistan in the coming weeks and months. I really am. If we don't get everybody out of there, they're already murdering people, by the way. Just a heads up. They're murdering family of journalists. That's already begun. The Taliban is. They're going door to door, kicking in doors. Shooting people that uh, that are family members of uh, there was one uh, specific journalist I forget there was from a foreign outlet uh, they murdered that person's uh, family member looking for them. Um, when pressed, Noah Rothman writes, when pressed as to why America's withdrawal strategy involved the sacrifice of Bagram in favor of the smaller commercial airport, General Milley insisted that this was a better quote tactical solution in accordance with the mission set that we were given and in accordance with getting the troops down to about six or 700. So to translate, either civilian or military leadership wanted the U.S. footprint in Afghanistan to be so small as to be incapable of defending an installation that is as big as Bagram. That was intentional, and so it had to be abandoned. That has proven terribly insufficient to the scale of what we're trying to pull off, so we're going to remedy the condition now 
By what? Sending in 4,500 soldiers to facilitate evacuations? No. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We are still waiting on President Biden to address the nation on the Afghanistan crisis. It was supposed to happen at 1 o'clock, and uh, he's 20 minutes behind. Has anybody has anybody checked out in the on the grounds of the White House, maybe some of the sidewalks area where, like, there are bushes? He kind of veers off course sometimes. Just want to take a look out there for him. Um, <laughs> seriously, like I do, I have serious concerns and I wasn't, look, I'm not, I didn't, I did not sign on to this, you know, Oh, Donald Trump, he's senile. Like when people were making that, th- those types of armchair diagnoses, I wasn't doing it with Biden either, but I, I'm just saying his patterns, the stuff that he's doing. I mean, they called a, they called a full lid yesterday. I want to say at like three 30. He had to go back home to Delaware so he can sleep in his bed because he was having trouble sleeping. As uh, one of the guys on the live stream last night said to me that it was, uh, he said, well, it's, (laughs) he says, uh, well, if you don't have a clean conscience, that could probably add to that. That's true. That is true. But why would he, why? I mean, think about that. You're, you're having trouble sleeping at the white house. So, you want to go back to your bed in Delaware. Do you remember the outrage over Donald Trump and his desire to go to Mar-a-Lago and his penthouse in New York City? And remember he made some comments about how living in the White House, it wasn't so great. It was an old building and wasn't gold-plated and everything. <laughs> right. You remember how everybody was like, oh, what a disgrace. He's He's dissing the office. He's not presidential. And now you got, you know, like President Sundowners here, and he's he's like, I gotta go sleep in my own bed. That's what my bed is for. That's where it is. Right? And he's got this, and I know what it's gonna sound like when I say it. And I don't mean this, by the way, in any kind of like pejorative way. I don't. I'm saying this out of concern, and I'm not being sarcastic about that. Like, I'm genuinely concerned. But he has this this kind of, uh, I know what it sounds like when I say it, but I'm going to say it, this twinkle. There's a twinkle in his eye. I know what it sounds like. I know what that sounds like. But it's this, it's almost like, and if for people who have looked into the eyes of a loved one who has suffered through diminishing faculties like this, you know, I think what I'm talking about. It's almost like this, like a childlike spark that's there. You know what I'm talking about? You could see it. You can't, it's like, it's visible. It's the eye looks different. And then of course is the, you know, the flashes of anger and that sort of thing. And, but it's, it's always when he's got that kind of look. And again, I don't know how much of this appears to be like maybe some, some face work that he's had done. Like I know people are speculating about 
like uh, facelifts or Botox or something like that, which apparently a lot of politicians are getting the Botox, like <clears throat> John Kerry. <clears throat> so and it does make you look weird. And so like I'm, I, I kind of write off and ignore some of that look that he's got now because I think some of that is, you know, the vanity of all campaigns that they want to kind of push the person to do these things to make them look younger and more vibrant and vit- uh, or high vitality and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's the look inside of his eyes that when you see him and he's talking to somebody in like these interviews and it's, it's childlike, it's got this childlike, I don't know, twinkle. I don't have a better word for it. It's a twinkle. I don't know what else to call it. Um, Dave, welcome to the show. Hello, Dave. Hey, Pete, you got me cracking up because I see the twinkle, too. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, <laughs> I got a question for you. All right. Uh, the, the, the answer that I think I've come up with yeah. for some of our problems, they raise other questions. All right? All right. I think Joe Biden would be the perfect host for Jeopardy. <laughs> and the reason is, is because I think it plays to the format. He gets the answers on a cue card. <laughs> then they give him a question, and then he judges whether he thinks their question is right. I like it. I like, well, wait a minute. I was with you, but then I just realized the, the Jeopardy guy, he's out now because of some comments and some stuff he did in the past. They may actually look at Joe Biden's past, and if they do, they may find some of the stuff that he has said and done, and he may be out immediately, too. Well, that's true, but yeah. you know, we already know all of that about Joe, and well, but that's the not elected him. Right, but that wasn't— And then they'll bring back Mike Richards. But that, <laughs> See, but that's not enough to— But here's the question. If we can solve that host question— yeah. Then, then what do we do with number two and number three in line to the throne? How, how do we handle? Well, we don't. Oh, I mean, I'm... Kamala Harris would be the, the president. That's yeah. that's how that works. But, yeah, that, that, that would be how that works. That's kind of worse. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, okay. It is. All right, uh, Dave, I appreciate the call. It's a good idea. And as I always say, when we're spitballing like this, there are no bad ideas under the cone of creativity. We want as many ideas as possible. So we kick them around, we you know, test the tires or kick the tires and test it around, whatever we need to do. You know, 220, 221, whatever it takes. Joe Biden is the type of guy out in the parking lot after a debate looking for his car when he took the bus. That is from Salise Fishing on the Twitter machine. So when pressed the other day about retaking Bagram in order to facilitate the exfiltration of Americans and the people that helped America during the 20 years uh, during the the war, General Mark Milley, the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, as well as the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, uh, who was it? Was it Milley? Yeah, Milley said, good question. Why the operation to retake Bagram isn't already underway. And the Joint Chiefs chairman said, good question. Time is running out, Noah Rothman writes at Commentary Magazine. Time is running out because Washington has set an artificial political time frame. Austin, uh, Secretary Austin, said... um, 
that we'll do as much as we can, as long as we possibly can, until the clock runs out or we run out of capability. What does that mean, until the clock runs out? What does that mean, until the clock runs out or we run out of capability? All right, well, that would mean that you're not able anymore to exfiltrate people because the Taliban has taken over and murdered everybody, kidnapped everybody, or whatever. But what does that mean when the clock runs out? See, this is the artificial timetable. Rothman goes on to say, fortunately, the president has already invalidated these unacceptable excuses. All right, after days of administration officials refusing to answer the question, President Biden went on to ABC News, which, by the way, I'm seeing reports now of people saying that they cut out stuff from the interview. Maybe we should all be able to see that. Um, But no, U.S. troops will remain in Afghanistan long enough to evacuate all American citizens, because that's what pulling troops out of Afghanistan looks like. It means sending... About 6,000 troops into Afghanistan. See? Makes perfect sense. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It's an oddly upbeat choice of bump tunes for the president's address, which still has not happened. Still has not happened. We're waiting on President Biden to address the nation about Afghanistan. And does he not know that I prepped for this hour to be taken up by his speech? Does he is he not aware of this? Can somebody make a <laughs> I am seeing I do have other prep. I'm just afraid to go to it because as soon as I go to it, it's like when I used to be a smoker and you would go to the restaurants back in the day when you could smoke in restaurants, which for you millennials and Gen Zers, um, that used to be a thing. Like, first it was you could smoke everywhere. And I remember that. You could smoke everywhere. Then they had smoking sections where supposedly the smoke would just stay in that one section. And then they banned it all. And then you guys have been living in, you know, with this clean air all around you in, uh, <laughs> in restaurants. But uh, this is from Ed Morrissey at hotair.com. He just tweeted out, Oh, sorry, no. This is from Jeff Blair. Uh, He's a writer. He does a podcast. uh, BATF, I think, is the name of his podcast. But he says, I really hope that people on the right, and Jeff is of the right, by the way. He says, I really hope people on the right who dislike CNN for understandable reasons, given the last five years. But I hope they're able to set that aside and give credit to the absolutely amazing and wildly dangerous on-the-ground reporting done by Clarissa Ward at the Kabul airport. She better get hazard pay, he says. And Ed Morrissey responded, she better get a Pulitzer. (laughs) Let's just hope she can accept it in person when it comes. And also, let's not forget her crew as well, who are performing just as well and as bravely. Um, It is true. I've I've seen some snippets of hers and everybody, I think, kind of, uh, as did I, like, laughed at her. You know, oh, the Taliban's here, but they, like, they're, you know, but they're happy or something they're smiling as they chant death to america like but she is still out there she and they, they she had to make that run to the Kabul airport and get in there and a lot of the video we have seen would not have come but for that crew so kudos to them uh let me go over here to jeff hello jeff welcome to the show how are you i'm doing pretty good how you doing hey jeff? i'm all right man what's up good good 
got a question I wanted to just kind of throw out there and just see what your thoughts are on it. Uh, with Biden basically in, in the uh, fifth grade leaders, uh, that they're saying that Americans, you're on your own to get to debates. Uh, we can't come out and get you. But yet I sit there and see reports from, uh, of course, not American mainstream media, but other world news, uh, how the EU countries are going in with with platoons to rescue their citizens. Right. Uh, and uh, American soldiers, anonymously uh, off camera, basically were saying that we were told we cannot. And uh, I've got a family member in the military who says it is very much a problem with the troops over there saying that they can't even go out to rescue their own citizens. Mm-hmm. The other day, a thousand people boarded American citizens to rescue Afghan citizens. I'm sorry, you, so sorry, the, Jeff, you the dropped out. That we're helping. Sorry, man, you dropped you, you dropped out. You said a thousand people. What flew out? Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. And by the uh, Pentagon report, a little over three hundred were American citizens. The rest were Afghan citizens. Right. And and I just don't understand. You know, well, I kind of understand Biden doesn't give a crap about the American citizens, but that's been proven. But I, it just irritates me to see our military over there standing down, do the same thing the other European countries are doing. Right. When France is the standard, we know something's wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, when 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 France is the standard that, that we're measuring ourselves and falling short by, then I, I think we, we've got the wrong plan in place, if any at all. I did hear somebody I forget who I uh, forget who I heard say this. Uh, it might have been it actually might have been a caller last night to Mark Levin, but I don't recall. But they said, you know, their concern is that. um like a lot of the, up till now, a lot of people said, oh, you know, Joe Biden is just sort of this puppet that there are these other people, these, you know, Obama holdovers, and they've been dictating all of this stuff all this time. But what if what we're seeing actually is Joe Biden in charge? And that's why things are as screwed up as they are. I don't think they're going to give him the ability to be in charge with what's already been said. I mean, when he stands there and gives a, a speech, which I'm sure you're waiting for it to happen today. Yep. for him to immediately walk off the podium because he doesn't know answers. If he doesn't have a cue card, he doesn't know answers. I, uh, I like the idea about putting him in his jeopardy, but he would screw that up because <laughs> somebody would ask him a question and he would go, I'll get back with you on that. Uh, but it's just a, it's a ridiculous amount of uh, what's going on. That it just I, I'm waiting for the million-man march in Washington, which has happened. I'm waiting for the other blowout rallies to circumference the, the Capitol building and saying, okay, people, uh, we're, you're going to need to fix this and fix it now. Uh, I would love to see the truckers uh, jam-pack this, the Capitol and just shut the city down all to say, okay, we're tired of this. We transport the American life, and we will shut the American life off if y'all don't do something now to get our people out of there. So this raises a question then of do you do you adopt the tactics of your opponents in order to try to extract the same things that they were after as well? Is you that have to. You, so you're I saying mean, yes, you're saying become the pink hat wearing protesters. No, uh, no, 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 I'm not saying pink hat wearing. I'm talking about American patriot protesters. No, but it's the same. Say, hey, no, but I we're understand. tired of what's going on. The pink protesters had to do with women. I understand way, that. No, where no, are Jeff. they standing up Jeff. at this point with the treatment Jeff. of America? Jeff, yes, sir. Jeff, yes, sir. hang on. I'm not drawing an equivalence between the the philosophies that are being 
promoted. I'm drawing a comparison to the tactics, right? You're, you're advocating a massive march on the Capitol, much like the pink hat wearing ladies did right after Trump won, right? That they did this massive march to express their dissatisfaction. You're calling for something of the same kind. It's a different, I mean, you're, you're motivated by different reasons, but the tactic is the same. Yes, sir. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Um, it's, I mean, that's, apparently that's the only way because with the pink hat wearers, things, things happen. Just like, uh, I mean, do, do we need to go and take the same tactics as BLM and Antifa did all last year? to get our voices heard. Well, now, I was That's under the impression, yeah, I'm under the impression that uh, those were 97% peaceful. So, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Jeff, thanks yeah. for the call, man. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> All right, have a good day. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think there is a, a, there is a general disposition difference between people on the right and the left. I do. I, it's not like, oh, we're all working. Like, I get that, and it's an easy dunk. I get that. But if it's big enough people and important enough, people will take off from work, right? But I just don't think, like, it's in the conservative and, you know, conservatarian. I don't think it's in our makeup to to do and, you know, act as a collective body like the left does. I just think it's a different way of thinking. So I, I, I would not hold out a lot of hope for that. I believe that the remedy here is constitutional. I believe the remedy would be you work through Congress. Now, whether there are enough Democrats that would work with Republicans in order to try to impeach Biden if Americans start getting slaughtered over in Afghanistan, we shall see. Right now, we shall hear what the traffic looks like or sounds like or is doing. Boomer. Hey, Pete. Yeah? Are they still checking the bushes at the White House? I think they are. On the hedges? Like, I am... I'm trying to remember, because I remember Obama had a bit of this reputation. So did Clinton, mm-hmm. that they would be late for these uh, these appearances. And I'm trying to remember how long they went. And I don't ever remember it being this long. I know someone else that knows or used to know a lot about the bushes around the White House is Billy Carter. Remember that? There News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We have been given the two-minute warning, although that was about, oh, half a minute ago, that the president is finally going to come out and address the nation for his one o'clock address. Here he comes. He is now walking to the podium. Secretary Austin, National Security Advisor Sullivan, and other members of the National Security Leadership Team, uh, the Situation Room, uh, to discuss our ongoing efforts to evacuate American citizens, third country civilians, Afghan allies, and vulnerable Afghans. And I want to provide the American people with a brief update and this, on the situation in Afghanistan. Since I spoke to you on Monday, we've made significant progress. We've secured the airport, enabling flights to resume. Not just military flights, but civilian charters and other from other countries and the NGOs taking out uh, civilians and vulnerable Afghan, uh, uh, vulnerable Afghanis. And now we have almost 6,000 troops on the ground, including the 82nd Airborne, providing runway security, the Army 10th Mountain Division standing guard around the airport, and the 24th Marine Expeditionary Unit assisting the civilian departure. This is one of the largest, most difficult airlifts in history. And the only country in the world capable of projecting this much power on the far side of the world with this degree of precision 
is the United States of America. We've already evacuated more than 18,000 people since July and approximately 13,000 since our military lift began on August the 14th. Thousands more have been evacuated on private charter flights facilitated by the U.S. government. These numbers include American citizens and permanent residents, as well as their families. It includes SIV applicants and their families, those Afghans who have worked alongside us, served alongside of us, gone into combat with us, and provided invaluable assistance to us, such as translators and interpreters. The United States stands by its commitment that we've made to these people and includes other vulnerable Afghans, such as women leaders and journalists. In fact, working in close coordination with the management of the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal, we have successfully evacuated all 204 of their employees in Afghanistan on U.S. military aircraft earlier this week. We've established the flow of flights and we've increased the number of people we're moving out of the country. We paused flights in Kabul a few hours this morning to make sure we could process the arriving evacuees at the transit points. But our commander in Kabul has already given the order for outbound flights to resume. Even with the pause, we've moved out 5,700 evacuees yesterday, and we're working on a variety uh, to verify that number, the Americans are still in country as we work on this because we're not don't have the exact number of people who are uh, Americans are there, and those who may have come home to the United States. We're not, we want to get a, a strong number as to exactly how many people are there, how many American citizens, and where they are. Just yesterday, among the many Americans we evacuated, there were 169 Americans who over the, we got over the wall into the airport using military assets. We're also facilitating flights for our allies and our partners and working in close operational coordination with NATO on this evacuation. For example, we provided overwatch for the French convoy bringing hundreds of their people from the French embassy to the airport. These operations are, are going to continue over the coming days before we complete our drawdown. We're going to do everything, everything that we can to provide safe evacuation for our Afghan allies, partners, and Afghans who, 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 who might be targeted if the, because of their association with the United States. But let me be clear. Any American who wants to come home, we will get you home. But make no mistake, this evacuation mission is dangerous. It involves risks to our armed forces, and it's being conducted under difficult circumstances. I cannot promise what the final outcome will be or what it will be that it will be without risk of loss. But as Commander-in-Chief, I can assure you that I will mobilize every resource necessary. And as an American, I offer my gratitude to the brave men and women of the U.S. Armed Forces who are carrying out this mission. They're incredible. As we continue to work the logistics of evacuation, we're in constant contact with the Taliban, working to ensure civilians have safe passage to the airport. We are particularly focused on our engagements on making sure every American who wants to leave can get to the airport. Where we have been seeing challenges with Americans for, for Americans, we have thus far been able to resolve them. We've been able, we've made, look, and we, we, we made clear to the Taliban that any attack 
Any attack on our forces or disruption of our operations at the airport will be met with swift and forceful response. We're also keeping a close watch on any potential terrorist threat at or around the airport, including from the ISIS affiliates in Afghanistan who were released from prison when the prisons were emptied. And because they are, by the way, and make everybody understand that the, the ISIS in Afghanistan are the, have been the sworn enemy of the Taliban. I've said all along, we're going to retain a laser focus on our counterterrorism mission, working in close coordination with our allies and our partners, and all those who have an interest in ensuring stability in the region. Secretary Blinken is with me today, met this morning with our NATO allies in consultation about the way forward so that Afghanistan cannot be used as a f in the future as a terrorist base of attacking to attack the United States or our allies. For 20 years, Afghanistan has been a joint effort with our NATO allies. We went in together and we're leaving together. And now we're working together to bring our people and our Afghan partners to safety. In the past few days, I've also spoken directly with the British Prime Minister, Mr. Johnson, Chancellor Merkel of Germany, and President Macron of France. We all agreed that we should convene, and we will convene, the G7 meeting next week, a group of the world's leading democracies, so that together we can coordinate our mutual approach, our united approach on Afghanistan and moving forward. We are united with our closest partners to execute the mission at hand. We've also discussed the need to work with the international community to provide humanitarian assistance, such as food aid and medical care for refugees who have crossed into neighboring countries to escape the Taliban, and to bring international pressure on the Taliban with respect to the treatment of Afghan, pe Afghan people overall, but including Afghan, particularly women and girls. The past week has been heartbreaking. We've seen gut-wrenching images of panicked people acting out of sheer desperation. You know, it's completely understandable. They're frightened. They're sad, uncertain what happens next. I don't think anyone, I don't think any one of us can see these pictures and not feel that pain on a human level. Now we have a mission, a mission to complete in Afghanistan. It's an incredibly difficult and dangerous operation for our military. We have almost 6,000 of America's finest fighting men and women in, at the Kabul airport. And we're putting their lives on the line, and they're doing it in a dangerous place to save other Americans, our Afghan allies, and citizens of our, our, our allies who went in with us. You know, I, I talk I talk to our commanders on the ground there every single day, as I just did a few hours, an hour or so ago. And I made it clear to them that we'll get them whatever they need to do the job. They're performing to the highest standard under extraordinarily difficult and dynamic circumstances. Our NATO allies are strongly standing with us. Their troops keeping sentry alongside ours in Kabul as is the case whenever I deploy our troops into harm's way, I take that responsibility seriously. I carry that burden every day. 
just as I did when I was vice president and my son was deployed to Iraq for a year. There'll be plenty of time to criticize and second guess when this operation is over. But now, now, I'm focused on getting this job done. I would ask every American to join me in praying for the women and men risking their lives on the ground in the service of our nation. As events evolve over the coming days, my team and I will continue to share the information and update the American people on exactly where things are. We'll use every resource necessary to carry out the mission at hand and bring to safety American citizens and our Afghan allies. This is our focus now. And when this is finished, we will complete our military withdrawal and finally bring to an end 20 years of American military action in Afghanistan. Thank you. May God bless you, our troops, and our diplomats, and all those serving in harm's way. And now I'll take questions. AP, Zeke Miller. Thank you, Mr. President. You know that your election would usher in an era where the world can count on America to live up to its promises. You promised to leave Afghanistan, but you also promised not to, to help to bring out those who helped America in its America's partners around the world who have criticized not the withdrawal, but the conduct of that withdrawal and made, it, made them question America's credibility on the world stage. I have seen no question of our credibility from our allies around the world. I've spoken with our NATO allies. We've spoken with NATO allies, the, the Secretary of State. Our national security advisors have been in contact with his counterparts throughout the world and our allies, as has the general, our, our, excuse me, I keep calling him general, but my Secretary of Defense. The fact of the matter is, I have not seen that. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite I've got. The exact opposite thing is we're acting with dispatch. We're acting, committing to what we said we would do. Look, let's put this thing in perspective here. What interest do we have in Afghanistan at this point with al-Qaeda gone? We went to Afghanistan for the express purpose of getting rid of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan as well as, as well as getting Osama bin Laden. And we did. Imagine, just imagine, if that attack, if bin Laden had decided with al-Qaeda to launch an attack from Yemen, would we ever gone to Afghanistan? Would there ever be any reason we'd be in Afghanistan? Controlled by the Taliban? What is the national interest of the United States in that circumstance? We went and did the mission. You've known my position for a long, long time. It's time to end this war. The estimates of the cost of this war over the last 20 years range from a minimum of $1 trillion to a think tank at one of the universities saying $2 trillion. That's somewhere between $150 million a day and $300 million a day. The threat from terrorism has metastasized. There's a greater danger from ISIS and, 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 and Al-Qaeda and all these affiliates in other countries by far than there is from Afghanistan. And we're going to retain an over-the-horizon capability that if they were to come back to be able to take them out, surgically move. So this is, this is where we should be. This is about America leading the world. And all our allies have agreed with that. And by the way, before I made this decision, I was at the G7 as well as met with our NATO partners. And I told them all, every one of them knew 
and agreed with the decision I made to end and jointly end our involvement in Afghanistan. The first part of your question was, I can't remember now. Would you commit to the same commitment? Would you make the same commitment to bring out Afghans who assisted in the war effort? Yes, yes, we're making the same commitment. There's no one more important than bringing American citizens out. I acknowledge that. But they're equally important almost as all those who, those SIVs we call them, who in fact helped us. They were translators. They went into battle with us. They were part of the operation. As well as we're also trying to get out as many NGOs, uh, non-government organizations, women's organizations, et cetera. We're doing all we can. In the meantime, uh, Secretary Blinken and I am going to be working with our allies to see to it that we can bring international pressure on the Taliban to be, they're looking to gain some legitimacy. They're going to have to figure out how they're going to maintain that country. And there's going to be harsh conditions. We're strong conditions. We're going to apply and it will depend on whether they get help based on whether or not how and well they treat women and girls, how they treat their citizens. So this is just beginning in that score. Are you willing to stay past the 31st to make that happen, to bring all the Americans out, to bring those SIVs out? I think we can get it done by then, but we're going to make that judgment as we go. Now, uh, Justin Sink of Bloomberg. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, you just said that you would keep a laser focus on counterterrorism efforts and that you don't see as great of a threat of terrorism from Afghanistan uh, as other parts of the world. But if you and your administration so badly misassessed how quickly the Taliban would sweep through Afghanistan and we no longer have an embassy there from which to run intelligence operations, how can you at all be confident of your assessment of the risk of terrorism and the ability of the U.S. to conduct over-the-horizon missions to keep it in check? Can you tell Americans that they're safe and will remain safe from terror attacks in Afghanistan? I think you're comparing apples and oranges. One question was whether or not the Afghan forces we trained up would stay and fight in their own civil war they had going on. No one, I shouldn't say no one, the consensus was that it was highly unlikely that in 11 days they'd collapse and fall and the leader of Afghanistan would flee the country. That's a very different question than whether or not there is the ability to observe whether or not large groups of terrorists began to accumulate in a particular area in Afghanistan to plot against the United States of America. That's why we retained an over-the-horizon capability to go in and do something about that if that occurs, if that occurs. But in the meantime, we know what's happened around the world. We know what's happening in terms of what's going on in other countries where there is a significant rise of terrorist organizations in the Middle East, in East Africa, and other places. And so the bottom line is we have to do, we're dealing with those terrorist threats from other parts of the world and failed states without permanent military, without, without permanent military presence there. We have to do the same in Afghanistan. Sir, just on that initial assessment, we, we learned uh, over the last 24 hours that there was a dissent cable from the State Department sure. uh, saying that the Taliban would come faster uh, through Afghanistan. Can you say why, after that cable was issued, the U.S. didn't do more to get Americans got out? got all kinds of cables, all kinds of advice. If you notice, they range from 
this group saying that they didn't say it fall when it would fall, when it did fall, but saying that it would fall to others saying it wouldn't happen for a long time and they'd be able to sustain themselves through the end of the year. I made the decision. The buck stops with me. I took the consensus opinion. The consensus opinion was that, in fact, it would not occur if it occurred until later in the year. So it was my decision. Now, my, I got, my next uh, is uh, Stephanie Ramos, ABC. Thank you, Mr. President. Two questions for you. The military has secured the airport, as you mentioned, but will you sign off on sending U.S. troops into Kabul to evacuate Americans who haven't been able to get to the airport safely? We have no indication that they haven't been able to get in Kabul through the airport. We've made an agreement with the, with the Taliban thus far. They've allowed them to go through. It's in their interest for them to go through. So we know of no circumstance where American citizens are carrying an American passport or trying to get through to the airport. But we will do whatever needs to be done to see to it they get to the airport. And one more, Mr. President. Uh, Last month, my colleague Martha Raddatz interviewed Abdul, an interpreter who was on the front lines with U.S. forces in Afghanistan. Overnight, we received a photo of Taliban militants coming to the door of his home, literally hunting him down. Thankfully, he was able to escape, but he is obviously still in mortal danger. What would be your message to Abdul, his wife, and his three young daughters? We want you to be able to get to the airport, contact us. We'll see whatever we can do to get you there. We've got to get you out. We are committed to deal with you, your wife, and your child to get all three of you out of Afghanistan. That's the commitment. Thank you, sir. Meredith Lee of PBS NewsHour. You mentioned just now using every resource available for evacuations. Why haven't you ordered the military to expand the security perimeter around the Kabul airport? Do you have any plans to do so, given that will likely require more U.S. troops? And are you considering rescue operations to recover Americans and Afghan allies stuck behind Taliban checkpoints? The last the answer is yes to the last question. We're considering every, op- every opportunity and every means by which we could get folks to the airport. That's number one. Number two, the reason why we have not gone out and started and set up a perimeter way outside the airport in Kabul is that it's likely to draw an awful lot of uh, unintended consequences in terms of people who, in fact, uh, are not part of the Taliban. We've been in constant contact with the Taliban leadership on the ground in, in Kabul as well as the Taliban leadership at Daho. And we've been coordinating what we we're doing. That's why we were able, for example, how we got all of our embassy personnel out, how we got everyone out of the embassy safely. That was the distance. That's how we helped get the French out and out of their embassy. So the question remains, there will be judgments made on the ground by the military commanders at the moment and that I cannot second guess each of those judgments to be made. But the idea of, again, let me, let me, let me, let me get back to the fundamental point I, I made at the outset. When the decision was made by me 
that, and it was made some time ago, and I ran for president saying I wanted to get us out of Afghanistan. One of the things that um, is a reality is people now say to me and to others, and so many of you say it on air, that why did we have to move because no Americans are being attacked? Why did we withdraw those? Why did we agree to withdraw 2,500 troops? No Americans are being attacked. As I said before, the reason they weren't being attacked was part of an agreement that Trump had made a year earlier. We will leave by May 1st, he said, as long as there's no attack on Americans in that year period. Number one. Number two, the Taliban was taking large swaths of the countryside, north and south. None of the major areas, none of the major uh, uh, points of uh, the, the capitals of each of these provinces. But they were all over, the, all over the country. And the idea that if I had said on May the 2nd or 3rd, we are not leaving, we are staying, does anybody truly believe that I would not have had to put in significantly more American forces? Send your sons, your daughters, like my son was sent to Iraq, to maybe die? And for what? For what? So the only rational thing to do, in my view, was to set up and pre-position American forces for the purpose of evacuation and the aircraft to pre-position those ahead of time so that we would be able to begin the process of evacuation of American citizens, SIVs, and others who helped us. The last point I'll make is this. Look, um, if we had decided 15 years ago to leave Afghanistan, it would have been really difficult. If we decided five years ago, if we, start, if we continued the war for another decade and tried to leave, there's no way in which you'd be able to leave Afghanistan without there being some of what you're seeing now. But what we've done so far is we've been able to get a large number of Americans out, all our personnel at the embassy out, and so on. And thank God, so far, knock on wood, we're in a different position. just get a little, just a little more cowbell on that. All right. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, so my takeaways, what are yours? My takeaways from the uh, president's address there is that we don't know how many Americans are in Afghanistan. Um, any American who wants to come home will be brought home. Uh, you'll just need to get to the airport, which apparently... The Taliban is letting people with U.S. passports through. So you can take that to the bank. Bet your life on that, folks. Uh, he says, hey, it's dangerous. And, you know, if we start sending troops out there beyond the wire, any number of things could happen. Well, no, just send them out with passports and it'll be fine, right? They'll just 
roll through the streets like we got our passports and the Taliban will let them through it. That's how that works, right? right let me go over here to. Uh... All right, there we go. Jill. Hello, Jill. Thanks for hanging on so long. I appreciate it. What's up? Jill. Hi. Um, yep. I just heard a lot of cowbell. And also, <laughs> Jeff's idea is not a very good one because uh, that was what January 6th was about. And anything that the American people do like that will be called an insurrection and that will be heavily put down. Mm-hmm. So we need to come up with some some uh, some better answers maybe on, uh, I, I don't know, but uh, what a S-storm. <laughs> or as I like to call it, a poop squall. Oops, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I'm watching up Chuck Todd, you know, showing uh, how ignorant he is. But at least they're telling the truth. That's become a humanitarian lift instead of getting Americans out. They don't know how, what to do with the people or how to process them, children. And um, you should see this footage. I wish you had a TV on in your um, studio. I've, I have four of them on. <laughs> and it's a, oh, my God. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And and the idea, I mean, some of the things that the president said in this speech are not what I'm seeing on video. Yeah, right? it's a lie. Yeah. Of course it is. And you just wait until Kamala becomes president. Oh, well, you know just where wait. We'll finally end up, maybe Nancy Pelosi. But uh, there, there's just more of uh, red herrings, uh, lies. Um, and if the woke, the woke need to get waked up. This is ridiculous. You know, we, we thought, you know, all the things they've thought decades ago, and the conservative people are on the right track, and I don't know what they're smoking out there, but they need to stop. All right, Jill, thanks. I appreciate the call. Let me go over here to Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Welcome to the show. Pete, you got the best bumper music on BT, buddy. <laughs> so there's so much. That's here. Ryan. Oh, no, that's producer Ryan's. Yeah. Uh, so, that's his uh, wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got so much going on here. It, it, it remembers you when you're talking about politics, and, and especially coming from a career politician like Biden. Mm-hmm. What he didn't say is just as important or more important than what he did say. Because remember, politicians talk and talk and talk and don't say a lot. That's mm-hmm. like that's their thing. So when he was talking about true international pressure and you know Germany and France and all these people, all the sound bites that you have to get in for a you know career politician, notice he didn't mention the president of Afghanistan. These these are the people that were supposed to watch our back on our way out. Right. Based but on he... what Biden just said, he is completely capitulating. The, the, the Taliban is going to be, without question, they've already made the decision, they're going to now be the new ruling body in Afghanistan. Yes. He did not mention the Northern Alliance. And there are many NGOs that know exactly how many Americans yeah. are in Afghanistan. They sent and reports. Yeah, they sent reports. They pegged the number somewhere at about 80,000. Right. And, and exactly, between sixty and 80,000. Also, did you notice he said, well, I'm not going to second guess. He's the one making the decisions. Yeah. Who is he second-guessing exactly? I mean, right. it's the, it's, this is the most ridiculous thing. What Ryan, he, he said the buck stops with him. He said he's the one who makes these calls. He also said that this was all the plan. Even though, it, like, <laughs> did you hear what he made the comment that, like, this was all, you know, what was he supposed to do? Trump did this deal, and this was all what we were planning to do and draw down the troops. So he admits this was the plan. 
You know, it's funny when you say that, too, because Trump did come to mind. What came to mind with regards to Trump is that how refreshing was it that even though Trump, every, every once in a while he opened his mouth, it, it, it sounded dumb, right? Cause, but he would talk off the cuff. He wouldn't just regurgitate the talking points that his handlers gave him, mm-hmm. like Biden does. Which, Just like to your point, Pete, what you were saying is that he said one thing, and that's in something directly after that contradicts it. It's almost like you realize, oh, yeah, wait a minute, I said the guy, I'm making the decision. It's absolutely crazy. What should be happening right now is obviously they should put a ring of steel around the airport. There should be um, uh, rescue missions to go get these because, right, we're not putting that. Now we're not putting American lives in the in the in the grace of the Taliban. Yeah. We should not be doing that. We should be also making rings of steel around places where the now Northern Alliance can get the weapons that we left. And failing that, we should be blowing them up. Yeah, They're Ryan, I got to run. I, yeah, I, I agree. I appreciate the call. We're going to go to news now. Here's Mark Muller in the WBT News Center. say why after that cable was issued, the U.S. didn't do more to get Americans out. All kinds of cables, all kinds of advice. If you notice, they range from this group saying that they didn't say it'd fall when it would fall, when it did fall, but saying that it would fall to others saying it wouldn't happen for a long time and they'd be able to sustain themselves through the end of the year. I made the decision. The buck stops with me. Right. At this point, really, what difference does it make? Right. He also said, there's no indication that Americans cannot get to the airport. That's what he said. And the reporters on the ground, I saw one from ABC News say, well, that's just not true. Just not true. And uh, by the way, when we went to break, he quit answering questions. He literally turned and walked out. If I had known that, I would not have gone to break. I would have stayed there because then the press was yelling at, there was a member of the press pool yelling at him, why do you continue to trust the Taliban? I'd say that's a pretty good question. Considering the circumstances that we're relying on the Taliban right now, are we? So here's a random question, maybe not so random at all, but are we paying the Taliban? I mean, aside from the billions and billions of dollars of arms and vehicles that we've given them and equipment aside from all of that are we giving them money have we promised them payment for safe passage here let me go over here to jimmy welcome to the program jimmy how are you hey there Pete. Hey. uh I, I like how you know it, it, was, it was so scripted i'm sure he looked down there at his cue card and said you know, had all the press members that he was going to call all the liberal press he's going you know going at like the liberal, like the Asheville Gazette and all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, well, the Asheville Gazette does not exist anymore. But yeah, he, he did, <laughs> he called on, what, the AP first, and then he went to Bloomberg, I believe, and then he went to NPR, and I think he hit ABC. But I think actually the NPR reporter asked him a tough question, and then uh, it was after that that he, he turned tail and, and walked out. He took literally four questions. Uh. I don't know when this this uh, rat show stops, but it needs to stop soon. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it is yeah, it's concerning, and I appreciate the call, Jimmy. It's very concerning, and it's more concerning given the fact that there are so many Americans that are now trapped behind enemy lines. 
They are literally trapped behind enemy lines. And I am like, I understand that you're not going to, because I think somebody tried to ask him, you know, like, well, why wouldn't you do this and get into some like specifics of a plan? And I don't think they should be telling us the plan. I don't think that should be part of like the public information campaign right now because uh, the Taliban's going to see it, right? So we don't want to be telling everybody what's going on. And look, maybe this is a huge head fake. Maybe the point here is to appear to be so incompetent, so caught flat-footed, we have no idea what we're doing, so disorganized. Maybe this is the plan. And when in actuality, we've got like a well-oiled machine <laughs> that is running in the background that is about to just be like like a pop-up restaurant or something, like boom, there it is, here it, and everybody out, and then we're done. I do find it funny kind of uh, in, a, in a grim sort of way that he's crediting America like as the only country who would be able to, uh, to set up and pull off this kind of a dangerous and large airlift. We're the only ones who could pull this off. Like we're the only ones who have to pull it off because you put us in this position. And the fact that you've got media outlets that are now like, okay, this is, yeah, this isn't working. Because keep in mind, they've got reporters there. See, now it's personal for them. They've got people there. They know people over there. This is a 20-year war. you got a lot of national correspondents that went over to Afghanistan, did war coverage, met people there, you know, worked with people that put their lives on the line for those journalists that are now in grave danger. You've got people that are still there, like Clarissa Ward on CNN. You've got other reporters there. So now it's a now it's personal for them. And this is, you know what I'm reminded of right now I'm, as I'm saying this? It just, like, it just popped into my head. Hurricane Katrina, right? It's the same prophecy, the libertarian prophecy. It's like, you guys, you believe government is going to be your savior in these things, and when the poop hits the fan, you realize it's not. It can't be. You've you've believe you believed their promises. And my fear is a lot of people are gonna die because they're relying on government. An effectless one at that. All right, let me get, uh, bounce over here again. This is Robert. Hello, Robert. Welcome to the uh show. How are you? Hey Pete. Great show. Glad you're in Charlotte. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. I the first thing uh, that struck me in watching uh, watching this this charade uh, of a press conference was uh, Saturday Night Live when they you know the the three of them with their masks on. If if there was a Republican or conservative Saturday Night Live, how funny would that skit be this weekend? (laughs) I do wonder, why was Kamala Harris there? Because nobody's seen her for a week. That's (laughs) Or longer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like this was just the proof of life video that we needed for her. Yeah. Right. Uh, They were really portraying uh, an image of power and strength, don't you think? No, I don't like. I, I think the you know, 
Yeah, with the masks on. And Blinken over there, who uh, somebody pointed out also, for a man named Blinken, he doesn't do a lot of Blinken. Um, and you really can notice it when he's wearing the mask. I suspect, though, that's probably a remnant of his childhood where he probably got picked on. And so he made it a point not to blink, you know, uh, because yeah. he didn't want to be known as Blinken Blinken. So uh, yeah. but anyway, uh, no, I, I, I don't because he didn't he didn't refer, he didn't need either of them to answer any of the questions. But maybe that's what they were there to do in case he could not. I, otherwise, why put them up there? Yeah, I think they had to have their masks on for when uh, Biden you know, was asked a question and he started wandering down his path where you're wondering whether he's going to finish the sentence so we couldn't see them cringing under their masks. Yeah, either that or they're throwing out little, like, uh, uh, like those little clicks and stuff that, like, dolphins use to communicate. They're going, you know, like that to, yeah. like, bring him back, like, to, to heal, you know, hey, 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 hey. And we just couldn't hear it because they were off mic and behind a mask. Maybe that's yep. what it was about. Robert, right, I appreciate Robert. Yeah, man, appreciate the call. Thank you. Uh, let's, uh, well, I would head over. We've got a bunch of uh, folks on the line. I will get to your calls, I promise. I do need to get over to traffic um, as well. And I'm, I'm looking at this uh, video. Let me just reassess the video. Let me do this. Let me go to traffic. I'm going to reassess this video. And we'll come back and take some more calls up next on News Talk 1110993 WBT. Boomer Von Cannon. And uh, look at the end of the press conference. And no, it, it was as bad as I thought it was. Okay. Um, 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. In case you were wondering, the White House has, in fact, called a lid at 2.30. So they're done. End of the day for them. Nothing in, nothing out. They're going home. Tapioca in the cafeteria. Let me head on over here to Jerry. Hello, Jerry. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Um, how are you? Just, good. Just wanted to give a heads up. Um, I stumbled across an organization called the Nazarene Fund. Yep. I believe on Instagram today. I believe it's been it was started by Glenn Beck. Yep. And the short video I saw um, was a gentleman who works for the fund or runs it and. Yep. Uh, he said that they are going in and extracting and rescuing Americans. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. I didn't, I haven't gone to their website or anything. I'm guessing, I'm hoping there is a way to donate to them. There is. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to put that out there. I'm glad you, you already, I'm glad you already know about it. It was new to me, but um, I'm, I, I am going to donate. I would urge others to do the same so that we can do what we can to help save as many Americans as we can who are stuck there. Yeah. So the Nazarene Fund, you are correct. It is affiliated with Glenn Beck. He's act, he and his listeners, they've actually raised somewhere north of $22 million so far in about 48 hours. Oh, my God. So, uh, and the website is thenazarenefund.org. Um, and it started up several years ago when uh, it was a response to ISIS. And they were going in and getting Christians out of Iraq and uh, that's where their operations began, I believe, if I remember correctly. It's been several years now. But, uh, yeah, you can make donations, and this is the work that they do. Absolutely. Yeah. Jerry, it's thanks just, for the call. Um, thank you, Pete. All right. Uh, yeah, the way, and it's, it's Nazarene, N-A-Z-A-R-E-N-E, thenazarenefund.org. Uh, Pete. Let me see your line three. Hello, Pete. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Pete. Hey. Uh, your Katrina comment just made me think of something else about the uh, utility of the federal government. 
in trouble. That's not what I called about, and I'll get to that in just a sec. But uh, it seems like I read that if uh, a nuclear bomb goes off in a city, the, the federal government has published a guide that says, don't expect us to show up for 72 to 96 hours after. You should never expect any government entities to expect uh, to show up in the wake of a massive natural disaster for uh, yeah for for at least 48 hours and you should have food water supplies clothing uh potential you know your medications you should always have this uh for a two week right. supply always but most people don't most people don't what i was calling about is this for everybody who's worried about kamala becoming president she is the tie vote in the Senate right now. Mm -hmm. If she becomes president, Congress has to vote, excuse me, the Senate has to vote on her replacement as vice president. And Mitch McConnell is not going to let a Democrat become vice president. The Senate will remain at 50-50. So they cannot take Biden out with the 25th and raise her. That's interesting. I hadn't. Uh, I honestly, I have not gamed any of that out. I, like my, if this thing, and and we should all pray that that this that this result that that this is able to be resolved with as little bloodshed as possible, and that we get our well, people out, we get our uh, our allies out. But um, because if it doesn't, I, my fear is that this then turns into a into a massive escalation that we are, as a society, probably not prepared for. No, we're not ready. Yeah. This, uh, this was the scenario when Nixon elevated Ford, the uh, Republican Senate back then had to vote on putting in Nelson Rockefeller as Ford's vice president. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, Pete, mm -hmm. I, pre yeah, I appreciate the call. Thank you for that. I, uh, let me head on over to Robert as well. I want to get as many people on here before the news. Hello, Robert. Are you looking for Roger? Roger. You could be Roger. Sure. How are you, I Roger? Could, yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, I have a different take on Afghanistan. I could be wrong, but time will tell. Um, I think the Taliban's Uncle Joe paid off, paid them off with, I, I think, billions is the number, billions of dollars of high-tech military equipment mm -hmm. that is, uh, I've heard, on its way to Iran. Yeah, okay. I've heard people say it's like a lot of that, the, the the equipment and such has probably been, you know, broken down, shipped to Iran and China and Russia so they can learn our technologies and such. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think they're all aimed at the same place, but that's kind of beside my point. And did you see the ice cream tribute? I mean, it was supposed to have been a, a joke where the Taliban soldiers are holding up ice cream cones. Oh, my God. To make fun of the U.S. and Biden eating ice cream while there's all kinds of serious stuff going on. Well, I think it was more of a tribute to their Uncle Joe for paying <laughs> them off. And I, I really think they're going to back off from hurting Americans. And this whole thing is going to be a huge, awesome optic for Joe so he can stay in office. Yeah, the problem is, though, that you're assuming the Taliban can control all of these people that that well, are allied with them. And and. I sincerely doubt that because what I the videos that I have seen so far do not indicate that this is going well. Like there are checkpoints where people are being shot, 
Uh, you've got them going door to door. They're busting in on people's homes and stuff. They've got lists of people that have worked with Americans. So, yeah, right. I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced of that. It's an interesting conspiracy theory, but I don't have any evidence well, to that effect. Right. Uh, but there I've only heard of them going after uh, collaborators, not Americans. Well, no, I said that they are being shot. They're being shot at at the at a checkpoint. So Americans were at a checkpoint. I've seen the video of that where uh, gunfire erupts at one of these checkpoints where Americans were. Um, yeah, like I, I don't know. Like, like when yeah. ISIS arrives and everybody seems to think, oh, it's ISIS and they don't get along with the Taliban. I'm sure they'll get along just fine. Uh, I, I really am. I'm sure they'll get along just fine. And if you think ISIS isn't going to go start rounding up Americans, you're kidding yourself. Well, we'll see. I think Joe's got to stay in office is the main point. Yeah, it's an interesting theory. I doubt, uh, I, I doubt it's true. I disagree with it, but uh, it's, it's an interesting theory. Roger, I appreciate the call. Let me go to Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello. How you doing today? Hey, I am all right. What's up? Well, let me give you a thought right here. How about old treasonous China Joe is being blackmailed by China, the reason that he left all of our stuff there? Because they're biting at the bits to get in over there. You know that. Yeah, for the and precious now, metals. Now they've got our equipment where they can uh, reverse engineer it, see how we built it and everything. And plus, the Taliban has got plenty of ammunition and guns to shoot back at us with. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, also, Hunter Biden needs some new laptops, so he needs some of that uh, precious metal material for that to happen. I think that's the deal. Mike, thanks for the call. I appreciate everybody hanging out with me today. Brett Winterbull coming up next. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Have a great weekend.